Good morning, Portico. And uh, welcome to those of you watching online and those of you in the chapel and over in our video venue. It's great to have you with us today. And we just, uh, what a great day and what great energy in our worship services. And we're so delighted that all of you are with us. I want you to take your Bibles out. We're going to get right in. We're in a series called Rescued. And today we're going to be looking at what it means to be rescued from fear. Anybody ever been afraid? Oh, good to see the hands going up because we're going to surprise... No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to surprise you. Ushers, could you help us out here? If you need to borrow a Bible this morning, raise your hand real high and we'll get a copy and you can borrow this. And if you're in one of our venues, we have Bibles available. If you're watching online, I would encourage you, get your electronic device out or get your Bible out so that you can follow with us. We're going to go to Mark chapter 4. If you're new to the Bible, that's sort of into the middle. It's in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go to Mark and go to chapter 4, and that's where we're going to read from in just a few moments. And as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about fear, that it's one of those very real human emotions that we wrestle with. And there are some times when fear is good for self-preservation, and there are other times that fear becomes debilitating and actually constricts both our emotional and our physical life, and it affects our spiritual life. And God has a lot to say about this whole topic of fear. When I was putting the message together, I got thinking about, you know, where does fear come from? It's part of our human emotions, but it just seems to be sort of, in some people, it's really accentuated, and I figured it out. See, I knew you wanted to know this. I figured it out. Do you remember as a child, those of you can go back far enough. Some of you now, you're not going to remember this, but do you remember, uh, those of you can think back far enough, there was a child's toy. It was a small cube on the side of the cube. Now, it was brightly painted. On the side of the cube, there was a little handle, and you would hold it, and you would crank the handle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. See? All of you know this one. And as you would crank, there was a little tune, right? Go ahead, sing it for me. No, no, don't do that. Right? Pop goes the weasel. When you hit the word pop, you'd be cranking this thing. I got thinking about that. How mean were our parents? Like they'd give us this little toy and we'd like... And when it hits the word pop, it goes like this. Freaking clown jumps out or this jester comes out and they got these scary... It's no wonder I'm still afraid of clowns. It's like you get indoctrinated this one. Your kids, we've actually continued to do that. Those of you that go... Whoa, Doug, I have no idea what a jack-in-the-box thing is. Well, you too experience your own fear factor because your parents, when you were young enough, you know, they brought you in to nurture you, put you in the crib, make you feel safe and warm. And when you were sleeping, they hung a mobile over your crib. Can you imagine what it's like for a baby in a crib? They're sleeping, they open up their eyes, and there's like these things hanging above their head, freaking them right out. Like, wow, we parents, I'm blaming everything on parents right now. So that's where I think fear comes from. But actually, the Bible does have a lot to say about fear. And when we won't go into the passage, we're going to look at what we can learn together about fear and how God rescues us from fear. Let's go over to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. You know, as you're turning there and you're going to look at verse 35, according to the actuarial analysis, there are people that are paid to study our fears and to determine the level of seriousness. Now, I, know, I personally know people who are afraid. They are terrified of flying. And so when you talk to them, they just will not get on airplanes. They refuse to get on an airplane. And I found some statistics. So if you're one of those individuals and your fear is flying, according to the analysis here, you have a 0.00001% chance of dying in an airplane crash. 
as compared to the fact that you will have, they tell us on average we're going to have three to four car accidents in our lifetime, which puts us at a 1% to 2% chance of dying in a car accident. I I found that quite interesting. Did you know that the second most reported fear that we share is the fear of heights? It says that we have this fear of falling, jumping, or being pushed from a high place. Well, then don't go up there. Like, that's easy. That one's easy to fix, right? We also have a fear, and this is another really big one. There is a fear of sharks. People are afraid when they're swimming that they will be physically attacked and harmed by a shark. And according to the analysis, you have a 1 in 300 million chance of being attacked by a shark. On the other hand, you have a 1 in 135,000 chance of being harmed by your spouse. Which leads me to believe it's better to swim with sharks than swim with your spouse. (laughs) Why did I share that with you? I don't know, but some of you need that information today. Fear is very real. Some of it is imagined. Some of it is very debilitating. It's emotion that grips us. It will be fueled by the unknown. It's fueled by uncertainty, and it will cripple us spiritually if we don't master our fears. And the good news is, is that God not only comes along and strengthens us to face our fears, but he actually rescues us in the middle of our fear. So when you go to Mark chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 35. This is a group of guys called the disciples who spent a lot of time with Jesus. And they had a little episode, a little experience on the lake. And as they were crossing over the lake, they encountered something in the middle of the ordinary. That going through just a routine day for them, they were exposed to such a serious setback in their own faith condition, it terrified them. So look what we read in verse 35. It says, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. So leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on the cushion and the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, quiet and be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. And then Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. You know, it's a rather simple story and we often can read right through it because it's only short uh, six verses long. And yet it exposes something that at the very core of every human heart we wrestle with and it's this issue of fear that in the middle of our life we come to moments that thoroughly disrupt everything we know to be true and just sort of pummels us with terror. So I want to give you a couple of takeaways. If you take your notes this morning, you can write these down. If you're following electronically, you can go to uversion.com, look for live events and you can fill in the notes. But here was a very real fear scenario. They were gripped with terror. These were experienced, some of them were very experienced sailors. They had spent most of their life to this point on the sea. They knew that the potential for storms existed, but this one was so serious that it actually threw them into a complete form of terror that they would cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that we're going to drown? So here, I want you to write this one down because it's a lesson we take out of the story. Fear can emerge in the midst of our ordinary circumstances. And friends, often, that's why it catches us off guard. 
because we're just going about doing business as usual. We're middle, in the middle of our days. We're going to our work. We're going to our regular activities. And suddenly, some cataclysmic event that we did not anticipate for that day emerges, and fear overtakes us. I just got thinking about this past weekend. I got up, I turned on the news, and I was watching some of the news footage. And I was watching the coverage of the earthquake over in Nepal. And just, you know, the, the sad news of the number of people that lost their lives. They didn't get up expecting anything different on that day. They got up, it was going to be an ordinary day. Life was everything the way that they knew it. And suddenly a natural disaster occurs and they are thrust into the midst and you could see the faces on the screen, you could see the fear. In fact, one of the little clips caught the tremor, the after tremor, the aftershock. And people immediately dropped down to the ground and looked around at the buildings, fearing for their lives or more debris going to fall on them. One of the reports picked up from the, uh, the British Army, they had a group of people that were going to ascend Mount Everest, and they were reporting on staying at base camp, and there were eight people that were killed over there. And the one who was reporting on the news, he said, we were in our tents, and all of a sudden we heard the boulders coming down the mountain. They didn't anticipate that. They thought that they were just going to do what they'd gone there to do, ascend that mountain, climb the mountain. You see, friends, life throws uncertainty at us. And when we're not ready for it, fear emerges. It's no different than a little clip I caught yesterday, and I was looking at some of the footage that came out of Chile and the volcano, and they actually had the the raw footage of one of the hikers who was making his way up through the valley, and he was just on a regular hike, and he was videotaping as he was going up through the ravine, and the mountain was dormant. Nothing was happening, and all of a sudden, it just began to erupt, and it's incredible footage because he's filming, and there was a moment when he realized what was taking place because he thought he was capturing this spectacular event, and then he realized, I am in danger here. And the camera actually swung around as he raced out of that area. An ordinary day, unexpected events. All these disciples got into the boat, and as far as they were concerned, it had been an ordinary day, hanging out with Jesus. And Mark gives some incredible insight. Verse 37, it's in your notes. We'll put it on the screen. It says this, a furious squall, such vivid detail that Mark gives. He said, the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Mark wanted us to know something, that this just wasn't an ordinary wind that would often come up off that lake. This wasn't just like a little bit of a rain shower that blew in. This was a life-threatening storm that was pummeling the boat to the point where these men had lost all faith and fear took over. Now, they're the ones who'd been hanging out with Jesus. He was the one that when he taught on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you know, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about your body. Just trust in your heavenly Father. See, those words are good to hear, but they're hard to put into practice when you're in the middle of an, you know, an erupting circumstance. And so for them, they're gripped with this incredible fear. When they least expected life to flip upside down, it flipped upside down. And can I tell you, there are people sitting in the room today and listening to me, and you know exactly what I'm speaking to. Because your world hits a wave, and everything pummels you, and it crashes into your world. Some of you have experienced what it is to have your boss walk in, even in the last few weeks, and tell you, we're downsizing. We're cutting back. We've seen it on the news headlines. And they're just slashing jobs out of the company or closing down stores. And suddenly your form of employment is gone and you go, am I employable? Will I have an opportunity? What am I going to do to pay my bills? How will I support my family? You are in the midst of an ordinary day and suddenly a storm erupts. Some of you know what it is to live right on the edge of financial ruin. You have every one of your credit cards maxed out. 
You live paycheck to paycheck, but in reality, you live from minimum payment to minimum payment. That's how you survive. And one more financial disaster, and it's over. And so fear grips you. When you put your head down on the pillow at night, you just cry out and you go, God, when is there going to be relief? When am I going to find some relief in the middle of this? I've seen fear erupt in young teenage girls when they've had to talk to their parents about an unexpected pregnancy. Go, I, I don't want to tell my mom and dad. Knowing they have to do that and then to watch the parents' reaction in that moment. We face all of these emotions, all of these experiences which fuels our fear. College students receiving rejection letters to their preferred universities and then wondering, God, where am I going with this? Where are you going to lead me? Being passed over by promotions. The list is endless. Our health circumstances change in an instant when a doctor just releases, you have this disease, you have cancer, you're facing this health challenge. This has taken place. And fear begins to come into our lives and the questions begin to grip us. Why me? Why now? What am I going to do? How am I going to face this? Why, God, are you allowing these waves to crash over the boat of my life? Why am I being pummeled and threatened? And God, what am I going to do? Now, Mark adds another interesting detail here. And I want you to look in your notes at this verse. It's found in verse 36. Mark adds to his account. He's the only one to do this. He said this little statement, there were also other boats with him. So we're centered in, for the most part of the story, this narrative, on this one boat with the disciples and Jesus asleep in the stern. But in the middle of the furious squall, Mark stops to visibly record for us there were other boats. And you might go, now, Doug, why would he do that? Like, what would be the sense in that? Here's what I know to be true. When a storm emerges in the middle of our life, when fear erupts and emerges in our life, we tend to lose perspective on everybody else's life. And we start to look inside and we start to feel sorry for ourselves and concerned for ourselves. Sometimes fear for self-preservation is not a bad thing, but we lose perspective. And Mark opens our eyes up one more time and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. It wasn't just a few disciples in one small boat that were at risk. Mark goes, there were other boats. There were other people that were going through the exact same circumstance. So friend, when you're in the middle of your storm, never forget there are other people that are going through the same thing. That often what we do is we go, no, it's only me. I'm the only one to experience a death and a loss in my family. I'm the only one to experience financial ruin. Or I'm the only one to, uh, to experience downsizing. No, no, if we could share our stories in this place, we would be amazed at how many people are wrestling with fear or having to navigate through storms and they're going, God, why me? And so I just have us open up our perspective a little bit so that we understand that when we do go through these moments, there are other people that are on the journey with us. And they're sharing the same part. Well, that leads us to my next thought in the story. And write this one down. God never promised that we wouldn't face challenging circumstances. Nowhere in the scriptures do you find God making a declaration that your life is going to be easy and smooth. In fact, there's a little bit of an erroneous teaching that just sort of propagates and moves its way through the Christian world at times. It teaches us and it says that, hey, if you give your life to Jesus then after you give your life to Jesus, everything is going to be easy going, real smooth, carefree. Anybody found that to be true? If you have, could I meet you afterwards? I got to meet one person, at least one person. But it's not like that. At least I haven't found that to be true in my own life. 
God, nowhere does he ever promise us that we will not face challenging circumstances. In fact, let me list this out for you. Moses had to face a Pharaoh. David had to face Goliath. Mary had to face her parents with her pregnancy. Joshua had to face the Philistines. Daniel had to face the lions. Esther had to face King Xerxes. Peter had to face prison. Paul had to face Jewish extremists. Mary, the mother of Jesus, had to face the tomb, and Jesus had to face the cross. Why should we be exempt from storms if God says... Storms are part of our life. He never said that there wouldn't be challenging situations. In fact, if you look at Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, it says this, that we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. That God says, hey, I didn't say you wouldn't have storms, but when your storms come, he goes, you can have faith. You can be strong. God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Greater is he that is within us than he that is within the world. So God says, don't worry about your storms. Focus on the one who is Lord over the storm. Know who the one is that can lead you through the storm. And I love this. When you look at the promises of God, God never said, and I think we have to get this one down, God never said that we would never face furious squalls. And I know some of you have. Incredible. But here's what God did did say to us. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And I think the picture that we have right here is a picture of Jesus with his disciples. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35. When you see it said, the day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Jesus didn't send his disciples where he wasn't willing to go himself. And if God is going to send us, God is going to lead us. That's the power of the life that we live. That when we trust our life to Jesus, we don't have to question our future. We don't have to worry. That's why Jesus could say to us, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your future. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your income. Are all of these things necessary? Yeah. He says, but just trust your father. Know who your father is because God cares about even the hairs on your head and he will walk with you. And so when the storms come and they will come, Jesus said, just trust and obey because God leads us wherever he will send us. God is more concerned about developing our character than he is about preserving our comfort. God wants to make sure that he forms Christ in us, the hope of glory, that we will live and walk with such a confidence. Mark 4.38, I love the disciples. They're so human. I just relate to these guys. Jesus is in the stern sleeping on a cushion, and the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? What a great question. They had to wake him up. That should have been a moment to ask, why can he sleep? And we're not. See, here's the deal. Jesus had already spoken about this, and he demonstrated it. He trusted his heavenly Father. Didn't matter what storm came, he knew that God would never fail him, not even in the middle of a storm. So he could be back in the back of the boat, sleeping like a baby, and all the rest of the disciples are freaking out. And they're asking, don't you care, friends? God does care. He does care. So whatever you're going through this morning, whatever that storm is in the ordinary circumstances of your life, God not only cares... He's with you. He's there for you. He trusts and supports you. And that's what gave Jesus such perfect peace. 
Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says this. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. That those who keep their heart and mind focused on Christ, he goes, you're going to keep them in perfect peace because they trust in you. All right, well, let's go to another thought this morning. Write this down. Every circumstance is an opportunity to express fear or faith. Every life circumstance that you go through, it's going to be an opportunity for you to express fear or faith. And this is the character-developing part of our journey, that when we face these moments, were they afraid of the storm? Sure they were. In fact, look in verse 40, chapter 4, verse 40. It says this. Jesus said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith? Now, there's a, a very interesting nuance with the language here. The, the better English rendering, you know, out of the, old, the original language into English, a better English rendering would be this way. Do you not yet have faith? So still is, it works. But the way to translate this is to say, do you not yet have faith? What was Jesus getting at? He goes, you guys have been hanging out with me. You've been spending time with me. You've seen the miracles. You've heard me teach. You've seen the sick that have been healed. He goes, don't you understand that God has the power over all these things? And here we are, and it's a storm. That's all it is. It's a windstorm. And you're on a boat, and it's a furious squall, and you're worried about your lives. Don't you understand who is with you versus who is against you? Don't you know who I am at this point? And they were still growing. Friends, why do we raise that? Because there are a lot of times that I really believe that we hear a lot about God, and we see a lot about God, but we have not applied that into our lives. So when the storms come, the first thing that happens is fear erupts rather than faith. And every circumstance in life is a moment to step back and go, God, I trust you. God, I don't know what you're taking me through right now, but I trust you. I know you're going to be with me. And so here Jesus is trying to encourage his disciples, grow in your faith. Understand that God has never left you. A little further in Mark chapter 4, verse 41, after Jesus quiets the storm, look what takes place. According to verse 41, it says, and then they were terrified and they asked each other, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now talk about a quick shift. First, they're freaking out because of all the wind and waves. They're afraid they're going to die. So Jesus stands in the middle of the boat and just goes, peace, be still. And Lord over creation, and this is powerful, the God of creation was in their boat. And he goes, I just command you. I created you. I command you to peace, be still. And then all the disciples, suddenly they're not looking outside the boat anymore. They're in the boat. They're going, who is this guy? And they're terrified of Jesus. Who is this man that has such power over creation? There's a parallel back into the Old Testament when the Israelites were about to enter into the promised land. And Moses, if you're not familiar with the scriptures, Moses had sent spies into the new land to sort of explore and check out the land. And when they came back, they, they brought a report about how great the land was, but they also brought a report about the people in the land, and they were terrified. They said the people are like giants. So they spread this report around, and according to the report, it said it put fear or terror in the hearts of the people. They were terrified. And it's a very interesting parallel to what's taking place right here, that just as Israel wasn't prepared to step into the promised land, and they didn't have the faith to do it, So for 40 years they would wander. In this moment right here, the disciples are terrified 
of the very one who's in their boat. Every life moment is a moment for us to express either fear or faith. And God invites us into the experience of faith. Quick story. Go back into the Old Testament. Daniel, part of the exiles living in Babylon. They've been exiled out of the land. While they're there, King Nebuchadnezzar, he is now ruler supreme over the world. He erects this incredible golden statue and sends out a mandate. He goes, I want everybody at the sound of the music to bow down and worship the statue. So the guy's got quite the ego. He goes, everybody is going to bow. So he builds a statue, they sound the music, people are falling down, and they're all worshiping the statue. But three of the Hebrew men, according to Daniel, three Hebrew men refused to do it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So it gets reported back to the king, and he said, these three Hebrew men are not bowing down when they hear the music. King calls them in, asks them, and they said, listen, king, we won't bow down. We serve only God. King is furious with their response. So there's a little dialogue that takes place, and I want to read it for you. See, hear it here. It's found in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17. So when King Nebuchadnezzar is threatening them with their lives, here's what the three men respond with. O king, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. This was a fear-faith moment right now. This is a threat of death with fire, or trust God whether we live or die. And you know our our sense of self-preservation? We fight to live, and we give faith away in doing it. But these three Hebrew men refused to do that. So King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have time to do the whole story. King Nebuchadnezzar, he got so furious. He ordered that they would fire that furnace up seven times hotter than it had been burning before. Now, very interesting little sidebar. How many of you know that the number of seven is one of God's favorite numbers? Yeah, don't mess with God's numbers or God's man. That's kind of how I read the story. So they fire up this furnace seven times hotter. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go, no problem, we're good. So the soldiers tasked with the duty to take them, to throw them into the furnace, they're actually, they die because of the heat of the furnace. They throw the men in, the soldiers die. King Nebuchadnezzar can see into the blazing furnace and he is shocked at what he sees. There are not three men, there are four men inside the furnace. And inside the furnace, even the king says, one of them appears to be the son of God. And the beautiful part of that story, he says, they're walking around. They're not trying to run out. They're inside walking around going, it's not bad, seven times hotter. It's actually quite comfortable in here right now. Because when you play with seven, God said on the seventh day, take a Sabbath. So I think maybe they were kind of like having a Sabbath in the fire. And it was like, it was all, and God was with them. You know, friends, we fear the smallest change in our circumstances. And God says, no, I'll be there. Even if it's seven times hotter than you ever expected it to be, I will be with you. I am the God that will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Contrast that experience with that of Israel. God goes down to Israel, or sorry, God goes to Israel when they're in Egypt, and he said, I have heard, I am concerned, I have come down to rescue you, and I will lead you to your promised land. And God not only said, I will lead you to the promised land, but he puts visibly the sense of his presence there, and he puts a pillar of fire and a cloud over the day so that they could travel through to the promised land. And all the way on their journey, 
What did they do? We have no water. We want to go back. You should have let us die there. We have no food. We're hungry. All the way through the journey, with the visible presence of God, they complained. Every moment of our life is an opportunity for fear or for faith. Did you know that the most often reiterated command in the Bible is do not fear? Do not fear. Do not be afraid. It is the number one most reiterated command in the Bible. And yet so many of us struggle with faith. And God says, all I want you to do is trust me. Trust me. I will never leave you alone. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Here's what we read. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. That is the God who says to us, I will rescue you from your fear. So this morning, let him do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the promise of your word that not only do you inform us of this truth, but you demonstrated it with your very disciples. You stood in their presence and you as Lord of creation and Lord over their circumstance brought calm to their storm. So I pray for everyone listening to my voice today. Some are going through incredible financial hurricanes right now. Paycheck to paycheck, questioning where their income's coming from. Father, I pray that you would help them take their eye off their circumstance and put their eye on the one who is Lord over it all. There are some that are listening to my voice. They're wrestling with health issues, very legitimate and scary situations. But God, in the middle of it all, you said, I'll take your hand. And my right hand will take your right hand and I will be with you. Not only did you say you could be the God that could heal us, but even if you choose that we would walk through it, you said, I'll never leave you in the midst of it. So God, regardless of where our storm came from, I pray would you help us to respond in faith, not fear, that we would rise up this day, that God, when we step out and the waves threaten to overcome us, that we would lift our eyes above the waves and we would look to you, the author, the perfecter of our faith, and simply say, I trust in you. I will not be afraid. And I pray it in Christ's name this morning.